Hello, you're listening to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. If the biggest risk to security comes from insiders, how do we reduce the threat? For too long, security training has been a compliance-driven tick-box exercise. But it's one that rarely changes behaviour. And often, we fall back on a top-down approach, or even worse, a climate of fear. Neither are effective. Changing this needs both time and resources. Yet only 1% of security budgets are spent on training and human factors, according to today's guest, Melanie Oldham. For the last 15 years, Oldham's been working to change this by helping organisations strip away the complexity that surrounds cybersecurity through her business, Bob's Business. And like others challenging the status quo in this business, Oldham didn't set out to work in cybersecurity. She explains how she began her journey into the industry. So I actually fell into information security in sort of 2004, and um, so some. Uh quite a considerable amount of time now that just shows my age doesn't it so yes it's, it's been a number of years uh, and actively for the last sort of 10-15 years working with various different organizations across all industry sectors all shapes and sizes just to try and get the most out of the people within the organization and how they can be seen as a, a real strength so so quite consider- a considerable amount of time. You say you fell into it but what drove you into this sector? My background and and my education was very much in uh, the marketing and events sort of side of things, so very people-orientated careers. And um, by some sort of twist of fate, I fell into project management and I did a number of research and training projects uh, that were very sort of fitted. Training, you know, people was was absolutely fine. And then one day I was asked, did I know anything about information security? And then I was airdropped into an IT team of of 13 techies and thought this is going to be the shortest career move I've ever made because these people have immense incredible minds and I don't understand a word that they're saying and uh, but I quickly discovered that actually I had a real talent for actually talking to them and then I think I was somewhat of an annoyance asking them to explain it again and again and again to the point at which I understood it and then I would take those messages and I would translate them to the rest of the organization to try and get the two you know, two very, very different distinct groups of people to work together to be able to achieve something because there was this constant blocker that, you know, from an end user point of view, you know, we don't understand what they're saying. We don't understand what we know, what we've done wrong. And from a a technology point of view, uh, they're not listening. They're not doing as they're asked (laughs) and so on and so forth. So I kind of acted initially as a translator and that's kind of how I fell into this. Now, that's really interesting because that's a role that I think a lot of organisations do still really struggle with. Yeah, I think definitely. And I but I think more and more now people are actually seeing that information cybersecurity has so many different facets to it. And there is a real, real mix of skill sets as opposed to it purely being a technical role, that it really does take uh, people from all walks of life and all different skill sets to come together to really have an impact. And there is that real need for, for as I say, for translators. I remember coming into the industry and thinking, 
okay, why are these people listening to me? But then realizing, actually, I know something that you guys are struggling to grasp and I know I can really help you. Um, and so then the confidence with that grew over time as we started to have really impact and results that actually what, what we were doing was, was, was of real value. So as I say, my initial tech, I think now I probably have more, more technical knowledge and I use far more jargon now than I wish I did, which is why I'm, I'm sort of really keen on always bringing into the business people that are fresh to information cybersecurity because they don't have that, that language and they don't have that default set of wanting to, to make things slightly more complicated than they need to be. And I think that's another real good approach to keeping cybersecurity relatable to everybody is, is pulling people in outside of the industry that don't, that don't understand the lingo or don't use it on a day-to-day basis. So what then prompted you to take the step to turning this into a business rather than doing it as part of your job? What happened was at the time, funnily enough, in in, in 2005, information security wasn't necessarily seen as a a huge growing area of the business. Um, So and because I'd invested so much time in creating these stories, these animations that were having a a real positive impact on the organisations we worked with. uh, When I moved organisations, I asked if it would be possible I could take some of these assets with me. Um, and because they couldn't see sort of, I guess, the commercial value. <laughs> um, now we have those conversations and we chuckle, but um, it was it was one of those things that I, I could really, you know, a lot of effort and a lot of hard work and effort went into creating the, the stories, the animations and the resources that I, you know, a lot of, I guess, passion went into it and I didn't want to let that go. They started off as really short animations and story pieces, which were then embedded into, we went on to create sort of learning platforms in order to be able to track and monitor. And it was identified that there was, and need to really evidence and, and do the compliance side. And we still have a sort of a split of clients that some, you know, unfortunately do still come to us. And, you know, it's probably the bread and butter. So I don't want to say unfortunately, but do come to us because they need to evidence that people are completing training. And it's not about necessarily the changing behaviours, but the stories and the approach is what really influences gets buy-in and gets those high level of engagement. But the reality is people do need to evidence it. And that's one of the main drivers behind people needing uh, cybersecurity awareness and education. And that's true. And we can come back to that later on in the discussion, because it's quite important to set out what your objectives are for the training. But before we get into that, um, who is Bob? Bob was uh, this this fictitious character that everybody could relate to. So Bob's been business, meaning any business, anybody who can relate, any sort of uh, company owner that that has the same problems that we all face. And this is one thing that fundamentally really hasn't changed over the years that I've been in cybersecurity is that most of the breaches that we see these days come down to those fundamental basics of cybersecurity, which is good password management, good updating of systems, backing up of data. And every organization, whether you are a florist or whether you are a multinational organization, you still have to implement the basics. And it's those basics that unfortunately, most of us, you know, when when we have these huge breaches that we see in the news, they are down to, at some point in the chain, the basics and not getting those right. Why is it more important to us now to adopt some of these principles than it ever was. Everybody is online. We're all interacting online ourselves, our children doing, you know, Google Classroom and our grandparents wanting to communicate with us. So it's it's now more pertinent than ever that we secure our online accounts, we secure our passwords and we do the basics. But there is that sort of social responsibility to share that information and for us to all, all do it together, really. And it's much more on people's minds now, even though it would have been if we'd had this conversation you know, about a year ago. Definitely, definitely. And it's because we're moving, you know, what what is valuable 
company information into somebody's home. Uh, but it is really highlighting the fact that actually it's it's not a need just to secure company information. There's more and more a need to secure personal information, especially with more of the, the cyber-related attacks basically being very, very emotive and very personable about COVID, about health-related things. And people are targeting people based on their, their own personal circumstances, not necessarily their work circumstances. So the, the merging of the two worlds, worlds of, of, of work and play has really sort of, um, I guess, increased our vulnerability and our susceptibility, but also increased our, our need and our awareness to actually look at this in all areas of life, not just purely the working environment. Is part of the thinking behind Bob, and one of the reasons he works well, because he's not a technical type of character. He's just an average sort of business owner who, if you look at the animations, to be honest, he comes over as a bit clueless and, and often out of his depth. Yeah, and I don't, I think clueless is probably a little bit, <laughs> a bit strong, but yes, yeah. I think I think you don't know what you don't know. And I think that is the whole point is that we're not, you know, there is expectation that we're all supposed to be cybersecurity experts, we're all supposed to do these things, but you don't know it unless somebody opens your eyes to it. But it's that real understanding that, yes, he is, uh, you know, a, a relatable character, as are all the characters in there. They're all from different walks of life and, and different experiences, but they all share the common problems that we have, which is we have online accounts, we have online vulnerabilities that we all need to be more mindful of. Um, um, and so that's that's why the, the the character is 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 distinctly, but also the fact that as as individuals we are bombarded with information, and and you know there's an argument to be said: do people respond better to threats and fear? And actually, it's it, you know from a, a psychological point of view, you know it's proven that it's not. It's it's positive positive reinforcement and positive messaging and things that 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 engage us and that inspire us. And that's why animation storytelling, uh, I think, has been covered on some of your other sessions, is really really fundamental and important to be able to. Bring break down those barriers that I touched on which is why I came into the industry in the first instance is because people when they when they have a fear of something they have a a, a sort of a, a natural desire to want to pull away from that whereas actually if there's something engaging interesting and something relatable you have a natural attraction to it so you're more likely to absorb and take that information in so it's, it's that's you know why the reasons why character sets and why storytelling is is, is really really quite important. So it has to be accessible, but also memorable then? Correct, yes. And and memory plays a huge, huge part in this. The reason why most of us are so susceptible is because we have really bad habits. And, and habits are things that are formed over sort of long periods of time. And what we're trying to do is implement new behaviours and new habits and, and, and new ways of working. And in order to do that, something has to be me memorable, but also has to be reinforced. And I think, you know, this again comes to another part of from a, an approach point of view, why one approach doesn't fit all. And it's about having a really blended approach to to communications to learning to education to, to sharing of information peer-to-peer -peer influencing having debates and discussions are really really important because you can't just touch on one thing and expect people to change overnight you have to address that subject over and over again in order to it to be important to it for it to stick and for people to change those habits that we've had for, for some time it's hard to overstate the scale of the problem, and your statistic is that four out of five breaches are due to human error. Uh, but can you break that down a bit? Because even for CISOs, that is quite a shocking statistic. It's it's huge, and 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 I think it's what's also quite interesting. The other statistic, the other way, is that sort of only one percent of, of budgets is, is spent on the human side of cybersecurity, and the rest on technical. But when you think about the proportions that are, are down to human error, it's it's a really really sort of a missed balance. Um, 
spend. And I think that's, you know, part of it is because technology we can implement, we control and we can see, whereas it's a little bit more difficult, arguably, to, to gauge and implement uh, human related risk. Uh, but obviously everything that you know, all the breaches that come out, um, you know, come stem from from human related errors, from people transferring information where they shouldn't do. We've, our times have really, really changed and we have more collaboration tools now than we've ever had before, which means that our ability to access information, share information, to, to push it out left, right and centre is, is, is so much more. And therefore, of course, the, the risk and the vulnerability that we're going to do something unintentional with that data. But obviously, most, more often than not, it's not done with malicious intent. It's it's done with really good intent because we want to work harder, faster, smarter. We want to share. We want to have collaboration. Um, and the reason, you know, we don't have good password management is because we want to get into systems a lot quicker, a lot faster. Um, and so, therefore, we think to, to use passwords that we use across all platforms that we remember is easier when we know, obviously, that that's a huge sort of uh, security flaw in the way we do things. So, it's yeah, it's it is is phenomenal. But then there's also that element of insider threat. Insider threat isn't just um, about as I say. There is that malicious side of it, but insider threat is is thinking about all the other. Um, uh, stakeholders that you have connected with the information so that's your supplier network that is you know obviously any contractors that you have so the sphere of human related error covers a lot of people that potentially have access to inf your information not just purely your employees as well and um, again just thinking thinking that on and thinking it to the current times that we're at now is insider threats are actually your friends and uh, sorry your family that are sharing the same working space as you now you may not think it but obviously the same principles of locking your screen and not letting your your kids see your passwords are actually really quite important because kids can go onto devices thinking that you know they've they've got this access to to potentially internet and, and control that they didn't have before but you don't know what they're clicking on you don't know what malicious uh, software they're potentially downloading onto your device or what inf you know emails are accidentally opening up and, and and so on and so forth so it's thinking about insider threat and human related threat as being more than just you and having malicious uh, or your employees having malicious intent so there's a lot more to it and it's more than just being aware that if you are working from home there will be security threats to you the point about where the spending goes is, is really key because it's almost like the industry's going about the whole problem back to front. You talk about working with the engineers and having to translate uh, from your language into language that they can understand and back again. Is then part of the reason why people fall back to, to hardware and technology is because it's what they know, it's what they understand and, and it's what they feel comfortable with. Yeah, and 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 because it's it's measurable, and and again, I think that's where a lot of um, cybersecurity programs potentially fall down because people aren't looking or they're a unable to quantify the risk. I think you know there are certainly a number of tools and 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 you know that that we have developed uh, within Bob's business that allow you to be able to assess uh, what the level of risk is. Because um, and I think you know being able to understand what the risk is helps you be able to, to target it and 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 put in a, a solution to resolve that. Um, but I think it's 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 purely that that technology is easy to implement it's measurable and it's there um implementing awareness campaigns they you know they can be time consuming they can have multiple different facets to them you do have you know 
not one individual within your organization is is typically the same they have different exposures to different risks and they have different ways of of of, of learning so on and so forth so it's a little bit difficult to 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 to, to control i suppose whereas to to implement a firewall across all devices is relatively i, I, I don't i don't want to say relatively straightforward because i know lots of organizations that have tried to implement um uh, across infrastructure <laughs> changes and it's not easy uh, with various different access to software and legacy software but it's arguably a lot easier to implement because there are known known controls i suppose is, is probably the best way to, to 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 address it more predictable correct yes yeah and if you look at the security training market as a whole and within that we'd include uh, what companies put together themselves as well as external ones how effective are they because i do get the impression that they often don't actually deliver what they're setting out to achieve Yes, uh, I don't. I don't disagree with you there. I think um, anything is better than nothing. So, to be honest with you, there are different organisations that are at different parts of their cybersecurity sort of awareness and behaviour and cultural journeys, um, and those organisations that were starting to look look at it some time ago are a lot further down than those that potentially didn't look at it before. You know, all the, the small micro companies that you know are only now just starting to to address it, as opposed to it being something that was never ever on their radar, um, and. It isn't. It isn't necessarily the most easy thing to to implement. It does take time. It does take resource, and it does take effort. And I think you know a lot of organisations will look at a an online training course and think, oh yes, we can absolutely replicate that, and anybody absolutely can. But actually implementing it effectively, making sure you're having that reinforcement, being able to assess and analyse the impacts of it, all those things are a, a full time job. Which is why the role of a, a cybersecurity communicator or a cybersecurity awareness implementer is actually now appearing more and more in job roles and and actually a fundamental role as opposed to it being a side element of of, of what that was the, the CISO's role uh, because it is quite fundamentally a huge huge part but then there's a lot of organizations that can do it really really well utilizing the resources that they have in-house so using your uh, your mo- your comms and your marketing team to do your internal communications. It's what they are good at. So giving them the messages to push out and to engage with the work audience is, is really, really important. Being able to use HR to be able to be there as a supporters to, you know, commonly ask questions as to what can go wrong, why are we implementing anti-phishing campaigns, so on and so forth. So they're able to support the, the role of the CISO who might be carrying out those roles. So there is a real element and and identifying champions, this cybersecurity is of interest to a lot of people. You know, some people may do potentially a lot of a lot of gaming in their private lives and and do elements where they have a a vested interest or an understanding of cybersecurity. So identifying champions whose primary role isn't cybersecurity, but they have an interest in it and are able to communicate and network and discuss these questions with their peers is a really good way of getting campaigns embedded within the organisation. So is cybersecurity training being driven primarily by the IT department or is it being driven by HR? or even by others, such as internal comms? Yeah, in my history, predominantly most of the inquiries that we have coming in come from uh, CISOs, heads of IT, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. But we are slowly, especially, actually, funnily enough, during COVID, seeing more and more people, more and more HR departments actually seeing this as a as an element of responsibility that sits within within those. So, it, you know, typically there would be um, four main sort of engagements with the business, whether that is CISOs, who are the primary ones, heads of IT, heads 
heads of organisation, then it would be heads of training and then HR. But that shift and that balance of it becoming a HR-related issue is becoming more and more at the forefront of, of what we're seeing from an inquiry point of view. And where does it sit most effectively in your experience or, or where should it sit? To me, um, I would always ask, and, and we still do, is that actually it becomes a, a combined responsibility. I remember coming into uh, doing um, BS779, which is the 27,001 certification, many, many, many moons ago, and it, saying that it had to be, you know, it was it was led from the top down. It was a, a C-suite decision that then had to be drilled across the whole organisation and thinking, well, why does it need to be? Why does it need to be? And that touches on my point earlier, which is actually you need key individuals in order to be able to make a campaign su- successful. Otherwise, there is, there is potentially too many kickbacks that might make a campaign going wrong so just to explain that in a little more detail that you have an element of it being the responsibility of the CISO because they want to be able to identify what risks are likely to come in so that they can start to to mitigate those and put technical controls in or look at the solutions that are implementing and working why why are they not working for our employees so that's part of the of the role of the CISO and potentially the the IT you then have the role of the the compliance officers who who own the policies that the organization is trying to roll out and they need to make sure that the messaging that's going out in that awareness training is consistent because more often we do see lots of conflicting between what our educational resources and what are policies so people are left in that limbo of, well what is it you actually want me to do what am I supposed to do uh, so making sure that your policies really do align with the training that you're delivering then the HR from that support point of view of what if something goes wrong what if I do click on a phishing link how much sort of how am I going to feel as an individual as to what potential risk I put that organization at how am I going to be perceived by the organization so they've got that support role and making sure that when people come to me and saying okay you, you are you trying to trick me you've sent me a phishing email why have you sent me that phishing email are you trying to catch me out I don't like the way that you're treating me it's you know it's HR's responsibility to say actually no we're, we're doing this as an organizational wide campaign because it's such a risk and a threat but we're hoping we're going to give you some really good tools and knowledge and understanding that actually is probably going to help you with your personal emails and and providing that care and that support role and then as I mentioned the the internal communications team whose responsibility is to get that messaging out there in a way that people are susceptible to that they can understand it they can relate to it you know having uh, polls and questions on internal communications about have you ever been a victim of phishing getting people to talk about it getting people to feel more comfortable about it so there's you know there is a role for for all those parties within implementing an awareness campaign, not just sitting purely on the CISO's shoulders who have to look at their their pending threats and their immediate threats and how to resolve things potentially from a technical perspective. So then that's when you start moving away purely from security training and awareness into security culture, isn't it? Because again, when you say, or when people say to you, I don't like the way you've done that, I don't like the way you're trying to catch me out, that suggests an adversarial type of approach. That probably isn't constructive. So that then raises the question, is the culture actually helping here or is the culture maybe hindering? So where do you see the line? And I appreciate it's a great area, but where does you know, formal training stop and maybe security culture start? 
And I would argue it doesn't. It's got to be a blended thing in every aspect of everything that you do. I think you've really sort of hit, hit the nail on the head. I think there was not too long ago, uh, I think in on in the press um, a week or so ago, about uh, an organisation sending out a, a fishing campaign uh, with regards to, 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 to pay rises that obviously had a, an emotional impact on, on people, uh, you know, tricking people to think that, you know, that they were potentially going to receive a bonus, which is obviously then when they discover that that's not going to happen, it's a phishing email that actually that's a real kick in the teeth especially in a situation where we're not sure if we're all going to be able to keep and maintain our jobs you know that has a real negative backlash and completely takes away from the educational value and it's remembering that what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate and the way that you educate is that you have really effective communications and you start off relatively simple with your messaging and then you increase the complexity over time so that you know so you start off you know take the analogy of education you start off with your GCSEs, you then do your A-levels, you then do your degrees, you then do your master's. You don't go in with the hardest hitting uh, targeted phishing email to prove a point that you can make people click on it. That doesn't get people's buy-in. You want people to feel that you're taking them along a journey where you're trying to improve their resilience over time, that you're all working together to do this. And that actually, you know, it's it's, it's a really important thing. So comms pays an absolute phenomenal part in, in in getting that right and not creating any any jarring within the organization and, and some resistance which takes away from what is the real value of that that training awareness and cultural peace so that sort of punitive approach could actually be quite counterproductive absolutely counterproductive what you want to happen is that actually when somebody uh, does something that's, that's that's that they potentially shouldn't have done to actually put their hand up and say oh okay i've i've sent out an email campaign and i've forgotten to use bcc i've sent it to everybody and oh god what can we do from a communications point of view to 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 just to, to limit the damage of that I've clicked on a link and I need to let you know so that actually you can get in there and you can investigate if there is that that feeling of punitive where people feel oh god I'm going to get in trouble for this you know like typical we all want to bury our heads in the sand we'll put our heads in and pretend it didn't happen but what you want to people to do is say oh god this happened what what can what can I do to to, to to fix this how can you help me and that's really 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 important on the comms piece that for everything you're pushing out you're giving people the opportunity opportunity to to feed back in and you're actually picking up on that feedback and responding in an appropriate way that actually is a positive experience so people continue to do that for you going forward and that could be quite a big shift for some organizations though a huge shift because there is that element of oh, you know why why do i need to invest in actually responding to somebody why do i need to do it well actually because that is what is going to to save you when when something does go go wrong and it does take time but to be fair with any of these things and you know it's starting off small doing one thing doing one thing right and moving on to the next and again fundamentally this is a huge problem that we see within the industry is that you know people do information overload they will onboard people on awareness training package and say you need to go in and complete all these training modules and people are like oh my god where do I start what do I do and they literally go through that motion of okay I'll just run through it run through it run through it run through it as quickly as possible I can because it's mandatory and I've got to do it and if I don't do it I'm going to be in trouble but they're not absorbing or taking any of that information in but if what we said as an industry what I would love to do is turn around and say actually guys let's forget trying to implement anything 
But one thing, let's try and do two-factor authentication on all online accounts. If every single information security professional did that and we covered it on social media and we did it everywhere and we turned around and said, there isn't one online account that you should have that shouldn't be supported by two-factor authentication, then actually everybody would start to adopt it, would start to talk about it a little bit more, understand the problems with multi-factor authentication, get to the root of it. And actually, by default, that is securing one of the biggest issues, which is which is passwords. We are, we're a long way off finding alternative the passwords are still going to be around for a long, long time. But if we actually did really effective comms and what happens when you do one thing and you do one thing really, really well, it has that knock-on effect of people automatically having slightly better security behaviours or at least thinking about it. Why am I doing this? So that when you implement the next change the following month, it makes it a little bit easier. So rather than trying to turn around and say there's 46 you know, control errors within Cybox, we've got to concentrate on all of them. Let's just do one or two things really, really well. And then let's move on to the next, move on to the next. And that's why we find, particularly within Bob's, that our campaign approach is probably the most effective because everybody gets talking. And the more that we talk, the more that peer-to-peer influencing really kicks in and the more it influences those bad habits that we have and creates new positive ones. So definitely more of a nudge than an order from on high. Absolutely. And a nudge and a, a notion that we're all doing this, we're all in together. You know, it's it's that collaborative approach to doing something to be able to, to secure something that is fundamentally really important to all of us not just to the organization the other thing to come out of it is the the can do rather than we can't because everything was always we can't work from home because of this you can't do this because of that well actually we've shown overnight actually we all can do it we can all switch to remote there's nothing that we can't do we just need to do it and then evaluate how we're doing and improve how we're doing it to make it better over time but everything is possible so shifting people from that can't mentality to yes we can but how can we do it and how can we do it securely so it's that constant yes we can and adaptation which is really really important for survival melanie oldham of bob's business talking about how a nudge is a more effective way to change behavior than an order and how it needs a collective effort to secure what matters. Our third guest in this series will be the author and security researcher Kai Ruhr. He'll be talking about how we can move from security training and awareness to creating a genuine security culture. That episode goes live on Tuesday the 9th of February. I hope you can join us. In the meantime, you can catch up on past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, and of course, subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thank you for listening.